I'm pulling out of the parking lot. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Today I took my daughter to camp. She's a counselor. Okay, so today is a top 10 day. I'm doing a top 10 list. So these are my favorite top 10 jobs I've done other than designing sets. So one of the things in my 20 plus years at Wizards is I've had a chance to do a lot of other things uh, beyond just designing magic sets. So today, I was going to walk through my top 10 favorite other jobs I've done. Um, and uh, I'll talk a little bit about sort of how I did them and why I did them and why I enjoyed them. Okay, so coming in at number 10, judge. So a lot of people don't realize that I actually, um, I was a level four judge for many years. So for those that might not know the system, um, there's five levels of judges, one through five. Um, and in the early days, I was very active in the judge scene. I think I did a podcast on judging. Um, and I was very involved in doing a lot of interviews and stuff early on. And the reason I was level four was I needed to do a lot of interviews of level threes. You needed to be one above to do the interviews. Um, but anyway, I was very involved in the judge, early on especially. And um, the major place I did judging was at the Pro Tour. For the first eight years, um, I went to basically every pro tour, and I ran the feature match area. That was my, um, so what had happened was in the very first pro tour, I put up, um, I would put, I, I ad, ad hoc made little signs to tell people what matches I thought were interesting matches. And then we formalized it at the second pro tour, the one in Los Angeles. Uh, it was called Rosewater's Picks. That was the name of it. Uh, and they made a little sign, and then each match, I would say, because at the time, spectators could walk along the halls, and I would say where you could go, um, I mean, I'd say where I would go to watch the best matches, and then eventually, for the third Pro Tour, we, we eventually called them feature matches, got rid of the Rosewater picks, and just called them feature matches, and then the players sat in the one area, and then the spectators, they couldn't go everywhere, but they could watch the feature matches, that was the ones we thought people wanted to watch. Um, and then for my eight years, I was in charge of the feature match area. So on the Swiss days, I did feature matches. I'll get, uh, my other job comes later, but, uh, uh, and not only did I, I judge at, uh, at, at, uh, pro tours, but I also judged some grand prix. Um, I was certified. Uh, I occasionally they would send me off to places. I went to Eugene once to run an event. I went to Vancouver once to run an event. Um, they would send me around when they needed somebody that was a little higher up to run events that they, they couldn't find somebody. Um, so, but anyway, I, the thing about being a judge that was fun that I really did enjoy was that I, I, I like the sort of, um, there, there is, one of the things that's very nice is judging is, is, um, a chance to sort of get involved in a completely different vector of magic play. Um, which I enjoyed a lot. I really, like, it's, it is neat to me that, um, in general, I like interacting with the public. Um, and being a judge just lets you see a magic from a very different vantage point. Um, as I said on my podcast on judging, I really think judges, you know, the, the people who spend their time and energy to be judges um, really are, are dedicating a lot of their time, and the system can't work without the judges. Um, most of them, and not all of them, but most of them are volunteers, and it's, there's a lot of work to do the judging. Um, but it is very rewarding work. I, I get why people do it. I enjoyed being a judge. Um, the reason I had become a judge in the first place was 
Um, when I lived down in Los Angeles before I, I moved to Wizards, I had advanced knowledge because I was making the puzzles at the time, and I wasn't allowed to play in any sanctioned event. So I started working, I started judging because I wasn't allowed to play. And I really, I really enjoy judging. And so um, that's kind of how I got into judging. And then when I got to Wizards, uh, Scaphalias was in the middle of putting together a Pro Tour. So I asked if I could be the R&DA liaison to the Pro Tour. And so I helped Scaph get the, the Pro Tour off the ground. Um, and like I said, for the first eight years, I was very, very involved in the Pro Tour. Uh, eventually what happened was when my twins were born, I, I like when my first daughter, my daughter, my original, my first daughter was born, I cut back my travel. When I got married, I, in fact, I cut back travel some. And then when my first daughter was born, I cut back travel more. And then when my twins were born, I, I cut back all but the tiniest of travel. I only travel a couple times a year now. Um, it, before I was married, for example, I would travel 12, 13, 14, 15. I, I would, you know, I would travel a lot. Uh, and then when Laura and I got married, I pulled back a little bit. And then when we had my first kid, I pulled back even more. Uh, and then when I had the twins, I was like, okay, I can't go to the Pro Tours. So I stopped going to the Pro Tours. Um, but anyway, the, it was fun being a judge. I liked being a judge. I liked, um, a lot of people seem to think I don't know the rules, but I do. I, uh, I mean, I'm not as well-versed as the rules manager, but I, I did study the rules. I did actually pass my level four on multiple occasions. I re-upped a couple times. Um, I even, man, I was a scorekeeper at a GP, um, GP Seattle, one of the GP Seattle. So, uh, um, and it also, it gives me a, one of the things about my job that I, I believe is the more I can understand how different people function, what different people are doing, the better I can do my job. And so uh, it's nice to be a judge. It's nice to sort of see tournaments. Um, in fact, when I was judging, especially at the feature matches, I, it did a lot to keep me up to, like I used to know, back in the day, I actually was a developer before I, I became a full-time designer. And one of the nice things about running the Pro Tour was I was just watching the best players play the decks, and I became much more well-versed in what the metagames were. You know, now I, I'm, not, I mean, I'm not as connected to that. And so um, one of the things about judging is it kept me much more connected into the tournament scene. And also let me interact with the players a lot more. I spent a lot of time talking to people. Um, I mean, one of the things is we make sets to be played with, and so it's nice to talk to especially the top-level players that really have good analytical skills of what's working and what's not. I would always talk to the pros about sort of, do they like this or like that? How is this format? How is this draft? How is this, you know... And I would talk to them about different formats and cards and what they liked and they didn't like. Um, and anyway, I, I found judging to be a very fulfilling, cool thing to do. Um, you got to wear your little striped shirt, uh, and it was fun bonding with the other judges, and, you know, it was a, it was a neat experience. I, I really did enjoy being a judge. Okay, number nine, manager of the creative team. Okay, so what happened was, this is around Odyssey. Um, uh, oh, no, no, not Odyssey, this is later. Uh, during Odyssey, I, I was put in charge of, of flavor text and um, names of flavor text, but... That's actually a little different thing. Uh, the, um, what I'm talking about now is when I first got made head designer, so back in 2003, I was told that I wanted to be head designer. I also needed to manage the creative team. Um, and I'm not 100% sure of the thought process behind that. Maybe they needed a manager and somehow they knew I wanted to be head designer so I'd be willing to do it. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure of the thought process behind it. Um, but what happened was I got made the, I was, I was the manager. I was in charge of the creative team for about two years. 
Um, I started, we were at the tail end of Kamigawa, uh, and I stayed there for all of Ravnica and I think most of Time Spiral. No, 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 in fact, I think all of Time Spiral, and I think we were just starting Lorwyn, I think, sometime between Time Spiral and Lorwyn, I remember the exact point there, but, um, although I think Lorwyn was after I was gone, so it must have been during Time Spiral block. But anyway, I was there for a couple years, um... And when I say manager, I was a manager. I managed the team. I actually had direct reports. And um, it was a very interesting experience because... And mind you, by the way, I was doing this while concurrently also head designer. Um, What ended up happening uh, was... So at the time I had... um, The team was only four people at the time. I mean, not counting me managing it. Um, There was uh, Brady Domermuth, who sort of... Uh, was uh, we called him the creative director? Um, Brandon Bozzi did our names and flavor text. Um, Matt Cavada, in fact, I hired Matt Cavada. That was one of the things I did as manager of the team. Oh, sorry, Matt Cavada did names and flavor text. What did Brandon do? Brandon did maybe card concepting. Uh, and then uh, Jeremy Cranford was our art director, and he had um, he had a intern named Jeremy Jarvis who was doing um, I think uh, concepting and stuff. Um, and, and so I, I, I there's a five member team, uh, but, uh, but anyway, so it was, it was interesting. I, I, uh, there's been different times during my, um, time at Wizards where I've managed teams. Um, I've managed designers on, on numerous occasions. Um, but this is the only time I ever managed non-designers. I was, I was actually man- managing creative people who were doing work differently than what I did. Um, as you will see later, I, I interwove, I, I definitely have done, um, I definitely have done uh, some of the creative elements at different times, but this is the only time I ever was managing the people that did it. Um, and I, I did the best I could. I mean, w- one of the things that ended up catching up to me was uh, head designer is a full-time job. Being in charge of all the designs of the sets is a full-time job. And so the fact that I was doing what was intentionally a full-time job and then in addition doing another full-time job just ended up being too much. And I... Uh, I wasn't giving my people enough time. Like, I think part of being a manager is really having time to be able to spend time with your employees and work and, you know, be able to help them. And and I I feel like I was doing the best I can, but I was just completely overworked. Um, But it was fun. It was fun uh, running the creative team. And and once again, I wasn't running the creative. I wasn't in charge of telling them what to do creatively. I was in charge of managing their time, of making sure that... uh, I mean, I did give them feedback and stuff. I got feedback from the rest of the company about how people were feeling about different creative things, and I gave the feedback, but um, anyway, it's interesting. It's it's the most manage, managerial I ever felt, because I, I definitely manage designers, but a lot of that was doing what I normally do now, which is teaching technical skill. Um, you know, a lot of, uh, when I was managing designers, was overseeing the technical skills. Now, what we've since done is we've divided it up that now there's a manager, like Mark Gottlieb's the design manager that actually manages the designers as people that looks at their time. <coughs> but I'm still in charge of technical skills. So I still sort of have a team, but I'm in charge of making sure they get better as designers, not that I'm allocating what hours they're spending. Or, you know, I'm, not, I'm not doing general management. That's being done by Mark. Um, so, But this was one time where I was managing people in which I was managing them. I wasn't doing technical guidance stuff. I was managing them. Um, and it was interesting. It was, it, was, it was a neat experience. And it really 
gave me a really good insight into the creative team because once you're trying to manage the people doing it, you have to understand the process really well to know, okay, what needs to get done and who has to do it. And so I learned a lot about the creative team having to manage the creative team. In fact, it gave me a really good insight. So I feel that that was, it was a good learning experience. And I think it, it taught me some skills that were valuable and it also helped me understand the contextually um, how to, how, how the creative team works. Um, and it's also very funny in that, um, like my, uh, obviously I interact with Jeremy Jarvis a lot now, but like my first interaction with him, like he didn't even directly report to me. He reported to Cranford who reported to me. So he was like my two down from my direct report chain. Um, okay. Job number eight, tour guide. So there's no official tours at Wizards of the Coast. You can't, if you actually show up at Wizards of the Coast and go, I'd like to take the tour, there, there's no tour. Um, but from time to time, um, there's, there's a bunch of different reasons. Sometimes, you know, uh, celebrities that play magic will show up. We've had bands and actors and different people show up. Sometimes it is uh, like a make-a-wish or something where someone who... Um, sometimes it is, uh, you know, magic celebrities, not celebrities that play magic, but actual celebrities of magic. Um, or sometimes it's just... Somebody who knows somebody in the building comes and, and they want to have a tour. And one of the things that I've become a very good tour guide, I've given a lot of tours at Wizards, um, that whenever we have a tour, usually they ask me if I can do the tour just because, you know, I, I'm the highest profile. People know me. And so it's kind of fun to have me give the tour. Um, and I've done it enough that I, I know, you know, I have it down cold. I know the tour very well. Um, and there's lots of fun tidbits. And one of the things about visiting the offices is... It's an office. I think a lot of people, when they come to, oh, I want, you know, like, like, like it's uh, Willy Wonka, you know, we're going to see the Oompa Loompas or something. There's, it's an office. There's cubicles. Um, I mean, there, there's bits and pieces that are fun, and there's some things that are uniquely magic or wizards, but uh, most of it is just kind of an office. And so a lot of my job is to figure out where are the little cool tidbits of information that I can pull out to make the, the tour more fun. Um, and anyway, it's also fun. It's like, Whenever someone shows up at Wizards, it's always like I get tagged. They go, okay, you want to do a tour? I'd love to do a tour. Um, And uh, real quickly on the the Make-A-Wish Kids. uh, We don't get a lot of requests. We get one maybe once every other year, sometimes once a year, but usually about once every other year. Um, And our policy is we never, ever, ever, ever turn down Make-A-Wish. Every single request we've ever gotten, we've taken. We've never turned one down. I always make an effort to personally do them. Um, and we try really, really hard to make it the best awesome thing we can. Um, usually when people come for a tour, the way it works is um, I will show them around. And then usually we'll get a bunch of uh, magic people to, to play with them. Um, in general, we try to get people where they might recognize who they are. People, you know, that R&D people and people where they might know, know their faces and stuff. Um, but then that will come and will whatever format makes sense. Uh, every once in a blue moon, if there is something coming up soon, we can play a set that's not out yet as long as it's really close to being out. Um, like if a, a, lot, a lot of times once the cards are known but the set's not out, that's the ideal time where we can play with somebody so they have the first chance to play with it. But there's no, they can't, you know, there's no information to, to give away since the cards are public. Um, but anyway, being a tour guide is definitely fun and it is... Like I said, it is, it's neat sort of meeting different Magic fans and sort of getting a sense of, um, I don't know, it's just, it's, like I said, I, I like interacting with our fans regardless of who they are. So it, it, it is fun 
getting a chance to do the tours and stuff. It's very up close and personal. Um, the one thing that occasionally does happen is um, we do not give tours, but the um, the uh, receptionist has my uh, can text me, and so sometimes the fans drop by. She'll see if I'm available. Um, sometimes in meetings and things, I'm not always available, but whenever I can, I will pop up and say hi and take pictures and you know greet fans and stuff. I, I try to do that wherever I can. Um, like I said, I, I, I've uh, I had another podcast where I talked a little bit about you know being a magic celebrity, and I take it very very seriously. Um, I, I really want to meet everybody that I can and give a positive experience. And really, as I talked about in my VidCon podcast, that like it means a lot to people, you know. And I, I want to make sure that uh, you know, even if I can only pop up real quickly and just take a quick picture and say hi, I, I try to do that when I can. Okay, job number seven, moderator. So. Um, we do a bunch of different panels. Uh, the, the one that I do every year is at San Diego Comic-Con, um, although I've done ones at PAX. I've done, ones, I've, I've done a few other ones. Um, so one of the things that's fun is I, I like moderating. It's, it's kind of fun. Um, one of the neat things is having a bunch of different people and organizing. Um, I, I do a lot of speeches in general. I, I, you heard my, I did my GDC speech. I occasionally will do uh, the occasional corporate speech every once in a while. And it is fun to sort of get out and do the speeches. I enjoy that. And um, so I guess I'll say speech slash moderator. I like getting up in front of people and talking. Um, I like moderating panels. I think that's a lot of fun. Uh, it's neat putting together panels. Like, I, I, I like putting together presentations, whether they're individual speeches or they're panels. And I really do enjoy... Um, I like the presentation of it. I like, the, I like making slides. Um, I'm kind of known for having a lot of slides. I tend to overdo it on the slides. Um, I just like, when I'm doing stuff, I like to have lots and lots of images. So I, I tend to make a lot of slides when I, I do speeches and stuff. Um, but anyway, it's another thing where I like getting out in front of people. Uh, my background for those, I mean, for example, I've done a podcast on my stand-up. And I, I talked about I used to do improv. And I did a lot of acting. And it is fun. I, I enjoy performing. I don't get a chance to sort of get up in front of an audience all that often. So... I do enjoy it, and I, it's good to use those muscles that I don't get to use all that often. So um, I enjoy it. It's fun. I, I like getting out and uh, speaking and moderating and running panels and being in panels. And so that is a lot of that is a lot of fun for me. Okay, number six. Uh, so I'm a t- flavor text. So a combination of things. A, there's a period of time where I was in charge of names and flavor text. Also, there's a period of time where I was a writer of names and flavor text. Uh, and I. I really enjoyed my time when I did Names and Flavor Text. I enjoy Names and Flavor Text. Uh, it is, uh, there's an art form to having the right name for a card or for having the proper flavor text. Um, flavor Text is a lot like writing poetry. You have so little space that you have to learn conservation of message, which is a valuable tool. Same reason I like Twitter. I, I, I kind of like things that force you to be very concise in how you give out information. Uh, and writing Flavor Text does that. Um, I definitely, if you, for example, my, uh, I, the, the Odyssey, uh, Unglued and Unhinged are where I, I did the names and flavor text. Um, the, the three sets I was in charge of them. Uh, and then I wrote flavor text for, in the early days, so I think I wrote flavor text for Mirage through, um, I think I stopped doing flavor text around the time I stopped doing the Weatherlight Saga, so somewhere between Stronghold and Exodus. I think I wrote Flavor Text for Stronghold, and I might not have written for Exodus. I think that's when I left. Um, 
but anyway, and then I, occasionally after that, I wrote a few pieces in Ravnica, and you know, uh, um, and when we, we did Unhinged, I wrote I wrote Left Leg on Unhinged, obviously. Um, but anyway, I I enjoy doing names and flavor text. It is a lot of fun. It's one of those things that if I had more time, I would try to do more often. It really is enjoyable for me. It really is fun to do. It's once again, I'm a word person. Um, my background is writing. I really do enjoy caring about the, the nuance of individual words. Um, I was I was pretty uh, well known when I did flavor text. How because um, what happens is your stuff gets edited, and the editor would always try to make subtle changes to my flavor text, and I was always like, no, 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 no. I like I very carefully pick the words I want. I meant that. Um, one of the famous ones is for the flavor text for um, Dwarven Minor which is uh, Fetch the Pest Ritter, Paca. We've got dwarves in the rutabagas. Um, and the editor at the time, Darla, really thought that in was incorrect, that it was beneath. So she was trying to change it to neath the rutabagas. Uh, and I was like, no, no, no. The, the, the comedy is like, you know, I got a fly in my soup. That the, you know, I, I just felt that the, um, that the idea is it's kind of like a pest. And when you talk about a pest, like they've gotten into the thing. Not that they're underneath the thing, they got into the thing. And so the idea is, um, you know, uh, the, 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 the whole joke here is that the dwarves, the person doing it felt like dwarves are acting as if they are pests that you need to get rid of. And so, and the dwarves, they're minors, so they go under the ground. And so, anyway. Uh, I, I if, if, if the time comes where I can have another opportunity to do flavor tax, it'd be fun. I the other thing is, I think flavor text these days is a little more serious. I, I was definitely in the camp of a little more flavor text that just is fun in a vacuum. That just you read this flavor text and it's funny, and you don't need to know much else to understand it. Um, and we do a lot more. We're trying to do so much more storytelling that really a lot of our flavor text space is to telling environment and story. And so there's a little less kind of just random silly, uh, which is kind of my expertise. So, um, but I will say this: I will make the following vow, which is. When, not if, when we do the third onset, I will do, I will do uh, names and flavor text for that because uh, I, I, I do love, I do love names and flavor text and uh, when there's opportunities, I will always look for them. Okay, that was number six. Number five, video producer. Okay, so um, at the Pro Tour on the, the first two days, we do a Swiss and I would be, I'd, I'd be a judge and I'd head judge the um, feature match area. But on the final day, I would switch jobs. Um, so in the very, very early days, I actually did commentary. In the first, I don't know, year, year and a half, I used to be the play-by-play guy. Um, but it was pretty clear that I just wasn't that good at it. Um, and I ended up shifting roles to being that of a producer, where I would manage the people and get the voice talent and get all the information and wrangle the players and... You know, I would interact with the director to say, here's where we're going and here's the match we're going to do. And I would do all the behind the scenes work to make it happen. Um, and uh, now be aware, this is in a day where we would film things and then we would use it on um, ESPN. And I don't know, we, we didn't do tons. Of, I mean, eventually we put some of it up online, but uh, this, we, this is before streaming existed, before you would stream, before that was a thing. Um, so people weren't, we were, we were filming it so that we could later show it and use it in different places. Um, and one of the places is we definitely made some videos out of some of it. Um, we had ESPN2 
Uh, we did some shows there, and we would show different matches. And but anyway, I I was in charge of coordinating all that. I also had to coordinate the players. Uh, at the end of the uh, Swiss, I would get the top eight. I would announce the top eight. I would then sit them down, and I would walk them through all the things they needed to know to do the finals under the cameras. Um, I mean, the, we also at the time I, I had made play match so that certain things went in certain areas, so you could follow along what was going on. Um, but anyway, it was definitely, I mean, it, it was fun. And uh, I loved to do trivia and stuff, so I would gather information and then I would feed information to the, um, the commentators. So I, I would love to find, like, a lot of interesting tidbits about magic history and stuff. Um, but anyway, uh, that, was, that was one of my jobs. I did that for about eight years. That was a, a long time. Okay. And, and by the way, it was, the other thing that was neat about that job, by the way, was... My, uh, I went to school for communications. I studied video production and video editing. Like, there's a lot of things that I had done that, like, if you had said to me when I came to Wizards, would I make use of my education for my schooling? Because I had a lot of communications education. And at first blush, I'm like, oh, I guess not. And then after the fact, looking back, and I'm like, oh, my, oh my goodness, I, I used it all over the place. And here's me using my video production. Like, I, I took classes in video production. Well, here, here was me putting it to good use. Okay, number four, the story coordinator. So during the Weatherlight Saga, Michael Ryan and I, uh, one day I'll do a podcast on this, uh, we felt Magic needed a story, we pitched it, we, we got it accepted, and for some period of time, I and Mike, Michael and I were running the story, we were the story people. Uh, so we did Weatherlight, we did uh, Tempest, we did Stronghold, and then uh, during Exodus, they got wrested away from us. Um, and we had mapped out three years with the story. I mean, one day I'll tell the story. But um, Michael and I had done a lot of planning. But anyway, it was... Um, the only reason this is probably number four and not higher is it ended badly. I think if it had stayed... When we were actually in the act of doing and doing story, and Michael and I were breaking out stories and figuring out who the characters were and what the arcs were, and that was awesome. I, I, I love telling story, and I don't really have as much option as I used to to tell stories. And that was stretching muscles that I like to stretch. It was a lot of fun. And I, it all, probably the thing that makes me saddest of everything in my entire time at Wizards is how the Weatherlight Saga, my, my portion of it, how it ended. Because it went horribly awry and bad things happened. And um, there's some alternate world somewhere where Michael and I were allowed to tell the story we wanted to tell and it was a huge hit. And uh, maybe we're still doing that. I, I don't know. <laughs> okay, number three movie consultant okay I can't say too much about this one because a lot of this is still quiet but um, uh, Fox we signed uh, the rights with Fox a couple years ago uh, the option to make a magic movie and we worked with a, a thing called Genre Films which is our production company um, run by a guy named Simon Kinberg who does uh, currently does the X-Men movies did The Martian uh, last year did uh, Cinderella um, anyway he is a very very awesome guy and does a lot of stuff, very successful. Um, we are working with him to try to make a magic film, which, I mean, we're going to make a magic film, but uh, it's a long, slow process. Uh, anyway, we um, wanted to give a presentation to the people doing the movie to sort of walk them through, hey, here's what magic is, here's what magic looks like, here's what our worlds are, here's what our characters are. Um, and I felt, very, I felt very strongly that I wanted to make sure they understood the color wheel. I felt like you can't capture magic if you don't understand the color wheel. 
Um, and so I said, I, I, could I please go down? Let me pitch the color wheel. I, I said, I think it's crucial. Like, I feel like if the people making our movie understand and embrace the color wheel, so much good things will happen from that. And they agreed. So anyway, four of us ended up going down and we did this pitch. Uh, and the four of us ended up becoming the movie team. We are the consultants to the movie. Um, and the reason, obviously, I picked, I'm, I'm in this interesting place in which my background is, is screenwriting, is writing. I actually, you know, worked in Hollywood for a while. More TV than film, to be fair, but, but anyway, a lot of overlap in script writing. Um, and I know magic very well, and so um, I, of everybody at Wizards, I have the most sort of some connection to, to Hollywood and to screenwriting, and obviously I know magic well. Um, I think the team is not all public, so I can't tell you the whole team. Um, the one other person that is public is Doug Beyer is on the team representing the creative, making sure the story is accurate. Um, you know, the, um, like I said, I, I can't get too much into the details, but, but what I can tell you is the four of us are involved in everything. Um, you know, whenever we're trying to make a major decision, the, the studio, uh, the production company will contact us. Uh, like I said, we flew down there once. They often come up here. We've had, we have uh, conference calls. We've had a bunch of different meetings. Um, we've interviewed people. We've talked to people. Uh, when there's scripts to read, we'll read the scripts. We'll give notes on the script. Um, but anyway, it is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. I mean, it's slow going, and I wish we had more news to tell you faster. Because, um, But part of it is we want to not just make a movie. We want to make an awesome movie. We want to make a really, really good magic movie. And so we're trying to do it right. And we're not trying to do it fast. We're trying to do it right. Um, but I am involved, and there are others involved, and... All four of us that are involved really, really are, are putting our all to make sure this, this is the best movie it can be. And, and I, I'm really proud of the team. I think we have a very good team. One day they'll all be public and I can tell you them. Okay, number two, editor-in-chief of The Duelist. So what happened here was when I first got hired, um, The Duelist actually was one of the people that wanted to hire me. Um, but I ended up getting hired by R&D, but under the condition that I would be the liaison to The Duelist. So I would work with the duelists. I would overread things. I'd make sure that technically they were being correct on stuff. Um, and then our editor-in-chief, a, a woman named Catherine Haynes, left. She ended up wanting to go out east, and we had no editor-in-chief. And the problem was most of the editors were hired more for their skills as editors than for their knowledge of magic. And so none of them knew magic particularly well. And the problem was a lot of running a magic magazine is understanding magic because a lot of what the editor-in-chief does is pick the stories and things. Um, and so I kind of got drafted into being editor-in-chief. Um, there was somebody who, uh, Shauna, who, who did the layouts, uh, really was one of the person that, that sort of said, hey, I think Mark could do this because they were definitely looking for an editor-in-chief. And Sean Roy said to me, he said, I think you could do this. And I said, really? And she goes, yeah. And I said, but look, I'm still in R&D. I don't, this is not, I can't, I don't have full time to dedicate to this. And she's like, I don't think we need you full time, you know. And so I became editor-in-chief. And so mostly what would happen was I would break down the articles and sort of figure out what we would do in each article so we have the content. And then I wasn't in charge and the editors would, um, I, I would help sometimes pick who the writers were. Um, but then they would do the process. They would, you know, once I set things in motion, the editors would make it happen. Uh, I was a lot of sort of setting vision and, and sort of uh, figuring out, like, what was the article about? What were the themes? What, who should write the articles and what they should be about? Um, but anyway, it was an interesting experience. Like I said, I, I have a lot of background in writing. And interestingly, before I came to Wizards, I was very involved in the duels. In fact, I wrote 
a lot of material. Uh, like my, my one quote is, I think there's one issue of The Duelist where I wrote, I think, something like 20% of the, of the, of the magazine, or like one-fifth of the magazine I wrote. It might have been 25, 20 or 25%. I wrote a huge chunk of the magazine one time. Um, but I did a lot of articles and I wrote a lot of stuff and I really had strong opinions about what The Duelist should be as a magazine. So it, it was cool being editor-in-chief. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and it was, it was a good sign that when I first got to Wizards that I had a lot of... Because I, I never went home. I was at work 24-7 almost. I mean, I slept at home. Um, you know, we went out to eat from time to time. But I, I spent a lot of time working and so it's probably the only way I could pull that off is it's another time where I kind of had not quite a full-time job, but a pretty substantial job while having another full-time job. Okay, my final uh, job uh, of my 10 is Magic Spokesperson. Um, it's funny because a lot of people think of this... I mean, I, I, it's not that it's not my job. Obviously, it's my job. I, I, I spend plenty of time doing it. Uh, but it's interesting in that it has nothing particularly to do with me being the, uh, the head designer. Um, I mean, there's some overlap, and obviously I can use my role as a spokesperson to talk about design from a very key place. But note, I was doing this before I was head designer. Um, so what happened was, for those who don't know sort of the story of me being spokesperson, is I was active on the Usenets. So for those that don't know their uh, internet history, before sort of the internet, as you know, before the World Wide Web, you know, um, before there was a graphical interface, mostly it was text interfaces, um, and there's something called Usenet that was kind of like bulletin boards. Um, and the early Magic discussions, that where it was, when Magic first came out, the, the, that, that was what existed as far as what the internet was at the time. I mean, I guess there was, there was some more advanced things that probably colleges had access to, but the average person at home didn't. Um, and I was very active on the Usenet. And so when I first started working at Wizards, I would pop in, and I, I kind of was this, this... It was unofficial. I was just like, hey... You know, it's me. I'm working, and the people knew me because I had been on the Usenet. So I'm like, I'm working at Wizards now, and I would answer questions, and I would, you know, I would sort of be a resource. Uh, I did, and uh, Tom Wiley, who was the rules manager, Tom and I would do a lot of stuff on the Usenet, and so um, it just became something. And then, meanwhile, I also was writing a lot in the Duelist. I was doing a lot of articles in the Duelist. So at one point, um, Catherine came to me and said she had the idea for a column, which would be, end up becoming Insider Trading, which was. Uh, just the idea of a column that was sort of had a voice to it, but was sort of talking about things behind the scenes. But um, the vantage point was, hey, you know, you know me. I've been writing for this magazine for a while, but I, hey, I finally got in the door at Wizards. But I'll, I'll be your spy behind the scenes. I'll be your inside man, and I'll give you, I'll give you the, the dirt. Was, was kind of the flavor of the column. Um, but it really, uh, and then once I became the editor in chief, I started having a, a column called Mark My Words, which in the front, which is like the editor's column. Um, and little by little, I just became a, a more... I kind of just put myself out there because I like social media. And so I just... I really much got on the front lines of things just because I enjoyed it. And when Twitter came out, I got on Twitter and Tumblr. and you know, Along the way, I just kept doing things. And sort of, it just blossomed into a role. It started from something I kind of just did and slowly kind of became something that... Like I now, for example, I'm now officially a spokesperson. You know, there, there, are, there are people who are... Um, who are sort of uh, are allowed to talk for wizards, uh, and I'm one of those people. And um, I mean, it turns out I believe my spokesperson job is very good for my designer job because what it's allowed me to do is really talk with a lot of players, um, 
Like I said, I, I've always read all my emails and but even now, I just I try to be on as many different platforms as possible for social media. I want to talk to people. I want to see what people have to hear. I do my head-to-head to get data on things. And I do my comics and I answer questions. And I, I do all sorts of stuff to sort of get a sense of what people like and what they want. And, you know, I part of what makes me a good designer is I have a good sense of what the players want. Because my job as the designer, head designer, is delivering the audience, making the audience happy. Well, knowing what they want makes my job a lot easier. Um, and so being a spokesperson has definitely allowed me to do that. Um, a side effect of being a spokesperson is I ended up getting the role of doing interviews. Um, it's funny because um, in college, in communication school, they actually, one of the things they do is they, I had to take a class on um, interviews. And one of the things that they talked about was, it was called uh, interpersonal communications, I think. Um, and the idea was that like part of being part of communications, the, the premise was it's not just about communicating with an audience at large; it's understanding how to communicate with a single person. And so they really wanted to drum into us that the skills you need to talk to one person are not that dissimilar from the skills to talk to many people. In fact, the secret of being a good communicator is making mass communications sound like personal communications. Meaning that when I talk, when I write, I want every person to feel as if I'm talking directly to them. That's an important part of being good at sort of larger communications. Uh, and so in order to do that, okay, we have to understand personal communications. I actually took some courses in this. And part of that course, so I guess the course was in personal communications, but part of the course was in interviews. Because there's a skill to doing interviews. Um, and so... Um, in school, I, I definitely learned how to do interviews, and so I'd kind of become the spokesperson, and then they started just having me do interviews because, well, people, and a lot of times people would ask for me because they're like, I want to interview some of the wizards. Well, I'll give you names I know. Um, and it turns out I'm, I'm pretty good at interviews. Like I said, I have a lot of background interviews, and I have improv training, and I'm fast on my feet, and I'm, you know, I, I have a really good sense of the audience, and so, you know, I, I ended up becoming kind of the default go-to guy to do interviews. So I do a lot of interviews now, uh, and I consider that part of my role as spokesperson is, okay, I talk about magic, and people want to come talk to us, I'll talk to them about it. Um, but anyway, it's a fun job, it's, it's, it's an enjoyable job, I like being a spokesperson. Um, it's, it's like I, I've said in my celebrity uh, podcast, like, I have just the right amount of celebrity, which is, you know, every once in a while, other people are excited to see me, and I get to sign autographs and take pictures, but like, I can go to the store and no one's bugging me, it's not like I, it's not like I have... I have, you know, fame to the point where I have no personal life. I, okay, when I'm in magic places with magic people, I get recognized. Um, every once in a blue moon, I get recognized out in public, but infrequently. And infrequently enough that it's, 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 it's um, still uh, amusing when it happens, you know. Um, in fact, it, my kids get tickled. It doesn't happen a lot, but it, my, my kids think it's the funniest thing, so. Um, but anyway, I'm pulling into Wizards. So that, my friends, is my top ten favorite jobs I've had at Wizards that wasn't magic design. So recap, just to go more on, number 10 was a judge. Number 9 was creator of the, uh, sorry, manager of the creative team. Number 8 was tour guide. Number 7 was uh, moderator for, uh, and uh, uh, speaker. Um, number 6 was flavor text writer and running flavor text. Number 5 was uh, video producer at the Pro Tour. Uh, number 4 was what's number four? Number four was story or story coordinator. Number three was movie consultant. Number two was editor in chief of the duelist. 
And number one was Magic Spokesperson. So those are all awesome jobs. Like one of them, let me end by saying this. One of my favorite things about my job is how many different things I get to do. That like people are like, you've been doing the same thing for 20 plus years. Aren't you bored? And I'm like, A, no, magic design is always changing. But B, I get to do a lot of other things. Like one of the things that's interesting is Wizards is very good at letting people take the skills that they have and apply it to magic. Like I, I had a lot of writing skills and story skills and video production skills and a lot of skills that had nothing to do with designing magic cards. But I've been allowed to use those skills and apply them. And so... Now, that's one of the things that's been fun is I really am able to say, hey, how can I make magic better using all the skills available to me? And that's been something that I've really enjoyed and I continue to enjoy. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. Uh, something a little different, a little different top 10. But anyway, I'm now in my parking space. So you all know what that means. It means it's time. What is it? It means it's time to end my podcast. Time, uh, my drive to work is over. So anyway, instead of uh, talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time.